0: Good morning and good to see everybody. Welcome to worship here on the Lord's Day as people are still making their way in. Again, we appreciate all of your patience um, as we personally usher you to your seats. Don't you like that? To to actually go to church and get ushered in. Next time we're going to have red carpet out front. We'll meet you. Maybe have valet parking. Uh, We'll have all kinds of things going on. But we are glad that you're here, and if you're joining with us online, we're glad you're still visiting with us and watching. We welcome everybody from around the globe that's watching us here this morning. Uh, Let me just read quickly as they're coming in a meditation as we prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Our hearts in true devotion bow. Thy spirit send with grace divine, and let thy truth within us shine. Unseal our lips to sing thy praise, our souls to thee in worship raise. Make strong our faith, increase our light, that we may know thy name aright. And then also, let me say this before we get much farther down the road. um, This is the week we celebrate Veterans Day. And so, what a blessing uh, that we are able to recognize so many of our men and women who have served Faithfully to provide our freedoms that we still eagerly have and fight for today. And so, if you have served at all in any of the branches of our military, would you please raise your hand just for a moment? If you're presently serving, even if you have served, what a blessing! What a blessing! We are so thankful and are reminded uh, each and every day. Uh, the importance of what you do and so we're glad that you have done that but we want to join together this morning as we go through the service we're going through second corinthians i invite you to join with us let me take a moment lead us in prayer and then you join me together in the lord's prayer it's there in your bulletin Uh, whether you're at home following along you can get it online or whether you're here let's pray together in just a moment heavenly father i thank you again for your wonderful blessings a beautiful day that we can come and gather and again, Lord, we lift up all that is taking place uh, around the globes, from country to country. Father, whether it's relationships between our leaders, whether it's working together for the viruses and health concerns, whether we're being challenged economically. Father, in all these things, we realize more than anything that you're in control, that all authority has been granted and governed and given by you. And so, Lord, let us find peace within our hearts. Lord, let us be excited within our minds that, Lord, we can go forward, face, Lord, not only the pandemic, not only the social unrest, not only the political change, the economic depravity for many. Lord, just put all these things aside and let us realize that in your purpose and grace, we are more than conquerors. And, Lord, we realize we don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, but it is simply by grace that we're able to come boldly to the throne and pray together as you taught us, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, Amen. Let me call us to worship from Psalm ninety-five. It's simple. He simply says, "O come, let us worship and bow down; let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker."
1: I invite you to remain standing as we confess our faith together. This morning we'll be using the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I will ask a question, and then let's all say it together. Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. How are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? We are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? The Spirit applies to us the redemption purchased by Christ by working faith in us and thereby uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. Let's now pray together this prayer printed in your bulletin. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts, in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord, for we are ashamed and sorry for all we have done to displease you. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And hear now this promise from God's word, the assurance of pardon. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For all of us who look to Jesus Christ, he is our sufficiency, he is our salvation. Look to him, be at peace, and be at rest, and know that your sins are forgiven.
0: As you're taking your Bibles and opening to 2 Corinthians, where we've been studying, uh, I will remind you that we do have online uh, service downstairs. We're not only broadcasting live for those at home, but we have set up downstairs where you can also watch it. So if you need to leave the room for a reason, please know that downstairs uh, we have set that up. We've also done some room changing. So if you go down there looking for the nursery, we've moved that. For those of you who are just interested, we've moved the nursery out to the rooms by the kitchen where they have the, the big windows and the carpet. So for the ladies' events, if you have kids or you need a break, you have the chairs right there beside the fellowship hall. and uh, We're trying to work through this the best we can. Uh, We do know that our children will be meeting right after this downstairs. If you're looking for the children's room parents, we have moved that to the old youth room where we have tables set up for the kids to be able to spread out and do their craft and activities in the big room on the side. And so uh, just pray that uh, as we move forward, the Lord will be able to lead, guide, And direct us as we learn. But let me pray real quick. Heavenly Father, again, just clear our minds and our hearts. Lord, let us set aside all these things for just a moment. Lord, if we could just give you a a brief moment. We know you've asked for an entire day. We know you tell us it's the day that should be set aside wholly unto you. And yet, Lord, we live in a world where we struggle just to give you a few moments. Help us to do that. Help us to hear the truth. Help us to know your word. And help it to change our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're coming into the last part of 2 Corinthians, we pick up on last week. We're not going to preach to you again about repentance But I want to challenge you today on the subject of whether or not you pass the test. Now, I don't mean that in a critical sense to any one specific person here. As I go through the service, if I see you elbowing or nudging someone, I will know that you're wanting it for them, and I'll try to to pick on them from that point on. Uh, No. But what I do want to say is for all of us, to pass the test are some very strong terms ...that Paul uses here toward the end of the book of 2 Corinthians... ...when we've been talking about what it means to be useful in ministry. How it is that we can be effective for the gospel. And of everything that he has been telling us about how to get along with people... ...how to reach out to people, how to work within situations... ...how to overcome obstacles, how to recognize the devil... ...how to put up with the devil's workers... We come to a point where he finally says, not only is it going to entail repentance, but there's something that will render you useless no matter what. And that is if you do not pass the test of whether or not Christ is indeed in you. What good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your very own soul? So Paul writes to us, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, some final warnings. Those are not the headings that come from our manuscripts. Please know that. Um, the numberings and the chapter headings, that are all things that have been inserted over time to help clarify the text. It runs straight through in 13 chapter 1 that said, this is the third time, Paul writes, that I'm coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. And we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. And then he says this. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. What a way to end a letter trying to encourage people. That when I finally come and see you again, and I get there, all this roll, all this nonsense all this following false teachers and going after their uh, beliefs that they're putting out, all the criticism that's been put up toward me and those that are serving with me, I am not going to spare you again. The only thing that's going to solve this issue is whether or not Christ is indeed in you, which is the answer to all of our problems. Because so many times we try to solve issues in our life. We try to reconcile things with people. We try to work out situations with others. And we're not dealing on the same terms. You know exactly what I'm talking about when you as a Christian are trying to act one way and the other person's not. You try to reconcile by doing certain things, expecting that in return, and you don't receive it. Can you imagine what the world is thinking when it comes to Christians... And they see you handle things the way the world does rather than the way Christ would. Do you pass the test? Because you're not going to solve the issues. You're not going to be able to overcome the obstacles. And you're really not going to find reconciliation. Which is what 2 Corinthians 5 was really all about. Is that we are ministers of reconciliation. It is our job to go out and let people see the reconciling power of Jesus Christ and to make it evident in our lives. Well, how do we do that? Pastor, how is it that I know I passed the test? Okay, let's go through a few questions. Write these down, keep them, put them in your mind or have your spouse next to your kids write them down for you so you won't forget them. Number one, how do we know we passed the test? Let's talk about the crucifixion question. As we get into that, he's writing to us and he says we must understand that Jesus was crucified for this very reason. Now I can give you a few passages of scripture. You could go here in 2 Corinthians 13. You could also go to 1 Corinthians 11 when we do the Lord's Supper. And do you remember when we do the Lord's Supper? Every time we take the Lord's Supper we say this, Examine yourselves. Because you can't come to the Lord's table, the sacrament, the word of God presently in visual, given to us in grace, and not know Jesus Christ. It defeats the entire purpose. The Lord's Supper does nothing. Catch this. It does nothing for those who are without faith. It is not a saving exercise. It doesn't create faith in you. It is for those who already have faith for those who have passed the test to be able to have their faith strengthened and increased to be able to go out and accomplish what God has put before us. Do you pass the test? Let's do the crucifixion question. First and foremost, Jesus was crucified for this reason. Have you been crucified? Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 2. Do you remember what he said in 2.20 when he said, for I have been what? crucified in Christ. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. The problem of being useful in ministry is we find ourselves still living for ourselves. We've yet to have been crucified as Christ was crucified. We have yet to have been baptized together in the baptism of His death. That's what Romans 6 is all about. And the problem of it is we're trying to do ministry with people who are not real. There's nothing more frustrating for any of us, than to watch the elders that we have seen fall away from the faith and say, well, it was really not for me. There's nothing more frustrating than when a parent who you've looked up to all your life says, you know, I've come to understand this isn't what I really wanted. There's nothing more discouraging than to try to go to one of your spiritual leaders for help and they have no idea where to lead you guide you or direct you because they've never been there to do that you see first john 2 19 is a wonderful passage it's the same writer that writes the gospel when john writes because he remembers the story of the feeding of the thousands and if you remember the story when john is telling it how jesus was doing the miraculous feeding of the thousands of people when they got done people started to leave they were full And so the disciples said to Jesus, look, would you do more? Do something else. They're starting to leave. We want you to keep them here. We want you to to do something to attract them so we can still reach them. And he said, no, let them go. For they weren't here for the right reasons. They weren't here to see me. They weren't here to know the truths. They were here to simply be fed, watch the show, and go their own way. So in 1 John 2:19 we are told when the disciples are talking about those they're leaving John says this let them go. They're going out from us because they're not really what part of us. You see people can actually live a Christian-like life for many years before the truth is ever known. Many people can wear the masks of whatever is necessary to get through church life. That's what the big word in the Greek stands for when we translate it hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy means many masks. And many of us have wore these masks all of our lives so that we look like the Christian leader. We look like the Christian husband. We look like the Christian family. We look like a Christian leader. And we've wore whatever mask that we need to, to put on in order to accomplish what's before us without ever truly passing the test. The test that allows you to take off all masks so that people can see the Jesus in you. You see, he begins to talk about this crucifixion question is Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. You can write all these down. You don't have to go to them. When it talks about Jesus bearing the cross for us, it's Paul writing, not here to the Corinthians, but he does it to the Philippians when he begins to tell them in chapter 2. It's in verse 19, uh, or in in verse 8, I mean, when he says this. Being found in him in the human form, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that he could be highly lifted up, where every knee will bow, and every tongue confess what? It's through the crucifixion, that we find this life that changes us. It's through our identification in the crucifixion with Jesus Christ that we find our new life. We know what it's like to behold all things have become new. We know what it's like to experience resurrection life. That's where he's leading us to. The weakness that he's talking about here, when he talks about Christ as speaking of the weakness in him, it's because many would consider Jesus in the flesh as weakness. It's where he took on our sins. It's where he, in obedience to the Father went forth was punished, mocked, ridiculed, put to shame. We saw that as a lost world, as being weak. Paul writes in the same way when he says, we too are weak. If you want to call weakness bearing the burdens of another, if you want to call weakness going forth in obedience to the Father, if you want to call weakness being mocked and ridiculed because of what I believe, Yeah, Paul says we're weak because it's when we are weak that he is what? Strong. The power in our life does not come from our own accomplishments. It's not the academia that's put before us. It's not the highest degree we could obtain. It's not the highest pay chart that's in the office. It doesn't matter what level you're on. What matters is whether or not we pass the test. The crucifixion test. Has Jesus died for you? If Jesus has revealed that to you through his Holy Spirit, which we are told, our catechism questions, then you realize that you too need to be crucified. It's not that you have to find a place in your heart is that you must give up your whole heart. There's nothing like a relationship when a person has a piece of your heart. It's when we realize the old self is gone, Colossians says, and the new self has come alive. I have been crucified. I'm not living for myself. I'm not trying to gain my own purposes. I am now a vessel of honor for Jesus Christ. We are told in Corinthians when he writes, we are ambassadors. We represent the work of Jesus. If you pass the crucifixion test, it's because you understand the importance of the cross. And without the death of Jesus Christ, which many in this world would say is really unnecessary, was really never accomplished, and there's really no proof of, If we fall into that battle, we fail the test. We must be convinced that the only way to spend eternity with the Father is through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Next, the crucifixion of self. We cannot live for ourselves. The definition of sin, you know it as well as I, -I S-I-N. And the I in the middle is me. That's right. The definition of sin is that the I in the middle is me. Because if you're still living for what I think is best, where I think our church should go, where I think we should accomplish, what I think best fits the purposes and understand, what I think is really necessary for the... If you're still answering the questions with I, you have not been crucified with Christ. His death has still not made its effects on you. Hebrews 6 gives us a very, very powerful warning. When he writes to us the warnings of falling away, please take this gently. We do not believe that if you're truly a child of God, you can lose your salvation. We believe in the perseverance or the preservation of the saints. We believe that once you're in the grip of God's grace, he's got a hold of you forever. What the writer of Hebrews challenges us is what happens to those who live as though they're saved and they're not. They convince others maybe that they're saved and they're not. It is impossible. Hebrews 6, verse 4. In the case of those who have once been enlightened to have tasted of the heavenly gift and have shared this Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and catch this, and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. You can't re-sacrifice Christ. We can't re-crucify Christ. We can't go through the process again. It's for the person who says, well, you know what? I I was living for Christ, but I have fallen away. We need to be re-saved. No, you don't need to be re-saved. You can only get saved what? One time. When you understand the crucifixion question, you understand that when Jesus died on the cross, it was once for all time. That's what Hebrews is writing about. It'll never happen again. It'll change your entire understanding of the book of Revelation. Oh, let me get you a little upset here. When some people in Revelation would say there's going to come a day when we set up a new kingdom and begin to re-sacrifice in a new temple. Hmm. If we ever need to implement sacrificing again. What does that say about the sacrifice of Christ? Did he complete all that was necessary? Did he pass the crucifixion test? You see, it changes all of our lives. It's not just about what do I believe about the moment. It changes all of who we are. You want to pass the test this morning, you've got to understand Hebrews 10, the same chapter when the writer tells us, I'm sure this is not of you, by the way, let me not scare you all, when he says, for I am convinced that this is not applied to us, because as Christians we don't fall away, we go through hard times, we go through challenging times, but in the perseverance of the grace of God, he picks us up, moves us forward, and guarantees, catch this, eternal life. So how long does that last? Yeah, shake your head. Forever. It's a a non-needed debate. If Jesus said, I give you eternal life, it's forever. But listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, the writer says this. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment, a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Though I believe it was Jonathan Edwards that wrote one of the most famous sermons about sinners in the hands of an angry God, but listen to what Scripture says in verse thirty-one: "It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God." Do you pass the crucifixion question? Has Jesus died for you? Have you been crucified? Are you now living the resurrection life? It's not only the crucifixion question, it's the resurrection question. Listen to what he says there as we're talking in our Second Corinthians chapter 13 when he goes on to tell us when Paul writes and says, it's not only that we find in the crucified in weakness, but he lives in the power of God, the resurrection life. It's now the resurrection question. From the crucifixion question to the resurrection question, Luke chapter 9, the writer of Luke, who was a physician for those of you who are doctors and you love the medical world. I've always loved Luke because he's the one that gives us the details. He's the one that tells us about how the babies jump in the wombs when they met. He's the one that gives us the details that only a doctor could do and prescribe in these miracles. But it is also Luke that begins to write us when he says, you cannot cannot be my disciple if you do not pick up your cross daily and what? Follow me. There is a resurrection life. There is a life in which you realize I have been crucified, but I didn't stay dead. Just as Jesus didn't stay in the grave, you don't stay in the grave. You can't let events happen in your life and allow people to punish you, put you down, and stay down. When you've been crucified with Christ, it's because the old self is gone, but the new self has risen. The new life in Christ is alive. you now got to be serving and living this life. You've got to forget what's behind. That's what Philippians tells us. For those of you who love the favorite verse, I forget the things that lie beyond and I press forward to the what lies ahead. It's the resurrection life. It's going forward to all the things that Christ has before us. I forget the past. As some might want to say, now let's have a blast. Because we're pressing on. The Christian life is not a dismal life. It's not a sad life. If you meet those people who say, well, I'm a Christian, I can't do those things anymore. You know, I really wish I could, but I just don't. You know, I used to love to do those things, but now that I'm a Christian, I shouldn't do those things. Sometimes you want to go, well, are you a Christian or not? Because if you're really wanting to go do those same things that you used to always do, you got to ask yourself, were you crucified? Is it really that bad to serve Jesus Christ? Are you really that unhappy? I, I, I'm sorry, Pastor. I, I would go, but i got to go to church. Man, we got a horrible pastor. I better just say no amens on that, right? No, I can't do that. I'm sorry. I'd love to go out and party with you guys, but you know what? As Christians, we just we, we don't hang out late at nights. We I, you know, I wish I could. Jesus doesn't want us to do that. I really just need to go home and read my Bible. You see, the mentality of some in the world is that if you're a Christian and you've been crucified, you're no longer allowed to live. And that's the total opposite. Now, I'm not asking you to go out and live a crazy lifestyle. Parents, I'm not telling your teenagers to set them free. What I am saying is, Being a Christian is not the life of living in a grave. It's the life of saying, I've been resurrected to a newness of life. I'm here to enjoy a life and to have a blast of serving the one who has saved me, who allowed me to be freed from the sin that so entangled me, that allowed me to overcome the obstacles and to run the race with endurance that's been set before me. It's the resurrection life. And you know, it's in Jesus Christ that not only is it a resurrection life now, it's the resurrection life that lasts forever. It's the life we get to enjoy that only starts now and gets to continue on for eternity. I don't think we're going to be in heaven. I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I made it to heaven. I didn't really want to come. You know, I, the, the choir is okay, but that's the wrong key. You know, I just don't get that. You know, I, I don't understand why the angels have to fuss all the time. And I just wish we'd put it to rest. And that's not the life we're going to have. Because it's going to be a life of resurrection, overcoming sin. So John 10 writes us when he says in the Gospel of John, the same writer that writes in 1 John, but he says this. Jesus comes and says, I came not as a thief to kill, steal, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. You know this. You see, the resurrection life has excited life. This pandemic can't push you down. You can't let that happen. We went through the times of terrorism, and we had a nation that said, you can't let that push you down. We went through a time of obstacles. You can't let that push you down. It's the same understanding, folks. The resurrection life doesn't mean that you're not going to get sick. It doesn't mean that you're not going to find persecution. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have to be careful. It just means don't go back to the grave. What is it? How good can it be to live a life of death? You see, we've been crucified with Christ. We have an abundant life. Romans chapter 8 gives it more than anything. You can summarize it. I won't make you read it, but he tells us this. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Neither height nor death, things present, things to come, the principalities and the powers. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Do you know what he says in Romans eight thirty one? We are more than what? Conquerors. Is that the life you're living right now? Are you living the life of a conqueror, one that will win, one that will overcome, one that will get first place? Next behind me as we win, folks. It's all about conquering. I understand that. Yeah, some of you want to beat me bad. I know. Now the truth of it is that's the life we live. We can all be victorious. We run the race in such a way as to what? To win. Somehow, miraculously, when we get to heaven, I will be as fast as the fastest runner that ever ran. Oh, I couldn't tell you the story as my mom could, but she can tell you she remembers the day when her son was born. Years ago in 1968, with what was known as clubbed feet and had to wear braces up until they were about four years old. Clickety-clackety down the halls, bent knees, still twisted today. She said, Jerry, I'll never remember the day, or for, I should never forget the day that you ran through the water sprinkler and you were faster than every kid in the neighborhood and your feet print were the only straight prints on the sidewalk. Isn't that amazing? One day I won't have that. One day it'll be gone. It'll be completely overcome and I'll be as fast as the Fastest. Because I'm more than a what? Conquer. Man, I don't know what the obstacle is that you're facing. I don't know what the trials that you've had to go through. And I don't know how long those things last. And I'm not sure how many rounds you're going to have to fight. But I can tell you one thing. If you understand the crucifixion question, you'll understand the resurrection question. Because you've got a life that's more than a conqueror. How can those of us who have died with him, not live in him. We have been baptized into his death, Romans 6, so that we can be raised to the newness of life. If you've passed the question, you're able to say, I am dead to sin and I am alive for Jesus Christ. So you have it: the crucifixion question, the resurrection question, and now we have the commission question. That's right. Write it down because that's what also says in Luke is that anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. You can't run the Christian life looking backward. You can't dwell on the things that have happened in the past. We've said it a many a times you can't change the past, but you can let Christ take it away. That's what he does. He takes your sins, he cancels them, he takes them to the cross, he carries them. And he gets rid of them as far as the east is from the west. Now you understand what it means to have a scapegoat. Because as they would bring that goat in from one gate through the corridors of the channels leading into the courtyard of the tabernacle. There would be the people who could slap that goat in the sign of transferring their sins. It would be the high priest who could lean over and place his weight on the goat. Symbolizing that as the priest, he was taking the sins of his people and placing it on the goat. And then they would open the gate to the east, which always represented the darkness, dreariness, and lostness of Scripture. And out would go the goat, and he would escape with all the sins and be punished. Now you know what it means to be an escape goat. When everybody wants to blame you and put the punishment on you, it was no different when Christ became the Lamb. What's the commission question? The commission question is you can't look back. You've been called by Jesus Christ to go forward. In Acts chapter 1, they were electing a new apostle. They put forth two: Matthias and Joseph. If you remember the question... They put forth two people because one was not real. Isn't that amazing that one could serve in the presence of Jesus and hang around the table and be at the Lord's Supper and not be real? Not pass the test. But it was so important to find another to fill in. Why? Because the Great Commission is the commission of replacing leadership day in and day out. Parents, when you're raising your children, you're not just raising children. You're passing the baton of leadership to the next generation. You're carrying the torch one step farther for the next to pass on. It's the question of who's going to join the commission that's been put before us. Parents, it's sad to save, but in one generation to the next. I won't ask you to raise your hand. I'll just ask you to think, how many of you have brothers and sisters that do not carry the torch of Jesus Christ? And how many of those brothers and sisters have children who do not carry the torch for the commission of the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know what the hardest question is? How many of you have children that are not carrying the the torch or may have not passed the test. It's not about just being a parent. It's about replacing the leadership in the kingdom of heaven. Your task is to raise the next generation of those commissioned in Christ. It's a daunting task. That's why we had so many. Our odds went up. <laughs> it's the commission. Listen to what he says in Matthew 28 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and what? Make disciples, make the ones that follow. Not the ones that have to take charge. Too many of us have children who already know what it is to have all the answers in life and to take charge over everything. We already have those people in church who aren't here to follow Jesus and uphold the purity and peace, but to lead Jesus in the new generation walk, take over the church and take it in his new direction. We're not looking for those who are going their own way. We want those who are making disciples. Mark writes it this way, the gospel needs to be proclaimed to the entire world. Again, Luke writes it, has to be specific as a physician. And he said what needs to be proclaimed to the world is specifically repentance and forgiveness. That's the other side of the commission we didn't talk about. Last week we reminded ourselves how important it is to repent. Now let me ask you the question of passing the commission test. Have you forgiven? No, yeah, yeah. uh Yeah, hmm. Depends. How can you be an ambassador? How can you be called by Christ? Him crucified for you, your life resurrected anew you can't forgive I remind you the great words that say if you can't forgive others then your father in heaven won't what forgive you the commission test part of the commission is repentance and forgiveness forgiveness Why? Because you will be my witnesses. Didn't you know that? All the synoptic gospels in the book of Acts all have great commissions. That when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are going to be his witnesses. That's the test. Do you pass them this morning? Do you pass the crucifixion question? Do you understand the importance of the crucifixion, your own, in Jesus Christ? Do you understand the resurrection question? Living of the new life, raised just like Jesus Christ was. That we too can be raised. And do you understand the commission question? That you've been commissioned by God with a purpose. You can't look back. And finally, there's the decision question. James Kennedy had one of the largest followings of all televangelists or services that were able to be seen. Before he went to be with the Lord, he spoke many, many years as they built the church in Coral Ridge. He also wrote what was known as Evangelism Explosion. The first question as you got through to ask somebody was this. If you were to die today, and someone asked, Jesus asked, why should I let you in my kingdom? What would you say? largest following in the world about over the period of years. And it came down to the simple decision question. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? The decision. Do you believe? Do you truly believe? When Paul wrote to the Romans and explained how we had our new life in Christ, that we were crucified in Him, baptized and buried with Him and raised together with Him, he said this, that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that He's been raised from the dead, you shall be what? Do you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth? When Joshua was finishing up his life of leadership in the battle, we all know it. He was challenged by the younger generation that was the more ornery than us. And they didn't want to follow the ways. There was other gods, other choices, other opportunities. Believe me, folks, the new age isn't new been around forever, puts on a different mask, tries to lead our children in another direction. So when Joshua finally stands up, he tells the people he's fed up, he's already worked through all the questions until the decision, and he finally says this, look, you choose who you want this day to serve, and you know it, but as for me in my house, we're going to serve Lord." decision time as for you and your house are you going to serve the Lord do you understand the crucifixion question has it been applied to your life so that you understand the resurrection question that you live in such a way that you can be obedient to God and fulfill the commission question it all comes down to the decision and I'll read it from Scripture. You probably know it from heart. In many of college days in the classroom, you're challenged by all kinds of students about the ability to be Christians and still live the way you want. How do you challenge the young generation? But I think it comes down to the very last part when Paul writes in Galatians of the decision question. Have I made the decision right? God gives us these words. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that they will also reap. If one sows from his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Decision. And then he says, but let us not grow weary in doing good. Let's not give let pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that it is only through your Holy Spirit that we don't give up. Father, it's only when we're about to walk away that you turn us back. When we throw up our hands, you put them back down. When we cry out, you calm us. When we're confused, you lead us, direct us. Father, we understand this morning that this Christian life is not about us. It's about your grace and how your grace is sufficient for us. Forgive us, cleanse us, give us the boldness to speak as we ought to speak, but most importantly, help us answer the decision question. Do we truly believe? We want you to get the praise and glory, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Diction. Paul simply said, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all God's children. And they said, Amen. Amen. Enjoy your Lord's day.